Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, hey, Life on Closet family. It's time once again to break free of your fears, to make your bold moves, and live your life without apologies. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, and happy Pride. We are in the midst of happy Pride Month, and we're just a few days away from, drumroll please, Father's Day. I hope my girls are listening. I gave you a list. I sent them to you. You better be checking them twice. And of course, I'm just yanking their chains. But um, as long as we're in the midst of celebrating Pride, why don't we also celebrate prides of being parents and especially gay dads and moms I'm, I hope you're listening too because we're going to celebrate you last month was your month this month is ours but I thought what better way to celebrate pride and father's day than to have another gay dad on the show but this time I went searching and a friend of mine who you have heard on the show before Mike Ganino um, he recommended our guest today and he's a father He's not just a single father. He and his husband are parents, and they have quite a journey they went through. And um, I thought, what a beautiful way to celebrate Pride. So we're going to bring my new friend, Dylan Rasmussen, on to the podcast. So welcome, Dylan. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. Happy Father's Day. Hey, same to you, man. Happy Pride as well. So let's dive right in. You guys just like, you know, did some magical wonders. You kind of <laughs> did your thing, you know, had a little fun in bed and then boom, one of you was pregnant and had kids. Okay, that's the end of the podcast. That's right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, that is not how this happened at all. And I'm so glad you're here to kind of talk about this because I think we're still in a space in our world, especially in our country where... Um, Oh boy, sometimes it's wonderful to be gay and sometimes you just go, are we going to go through all this crap all over again, and especially when it comes to being gay parents. So um, let's start for you. Um, did you always want to be a dad? I did actually. Um, even when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a bad, a bad, a dad, a bad dad. Okay, a fine. bad dad. Yeah, that's no. a whole that's a whole other show, right? There. Right, right. We'll save that for next year. Yeah. Um, no, I always wanted to be a dad. Uh, my parents actually got divorced when I was two, and mm -hmm. my um, my mom asked my dad to raise me because she wasn't in a good place in terms of her mental health and knew that she couldn't take care of me the way that she needed to, and so my mm -hmm. dad. Um, you know, eagerly took on the responsibility. And it was just the two of us, uh, pretty much all growing up. I mean, I saw my mom quite frequently. And I think that relationship with my dad, like, I just really valued he, we were incredibly close. Um, we're still incredibly close. And so I, I always wanted to, to have that experience with another, you know, with kids of my own. Um, and I'll tell you that one of the things that I struggled most with, and in coming into my own identity was this possible idea that I would not be, I would not be a dad. I would not have kids of my own. Um, and isn't that interesting? Cause I think so many of us in the LGBTQ world, a lot of us struggle with that. And it's so, I mean, at the time, I mean, I'm 55 years old. I'm soon going to be 56. And I do remember that was one of my first thoughts. Like, okay, if I'm gay, I, uh, there's no way I'll ever never have kids. I wasn't like 
you know, wanting them per se, but the thought was there of, okay, if I ever did want them. And it was such right. a scary thing to think, okay, this isn't part of the equation, which was really <laughs> so wrong. But right. It's like a door is automatically closed to you from the very yeah. beginning if you if you accept basically who you are. And then right. it's also, you know, I remember thinking like, why why should I be punished in a way mm -hmm. for just being myself, you know? Yeah. And so, yes, I, I, I always wanted to be a father, um, you know, as I got older and, you know, kind of came to the realization that I, I pr probably wouldn't be, um, you know, it was still something that always kind of stuck in the back of my mind, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I met my, you know, partner of 22 years and, you know, now husband Tom and, you know, we had talked about it. He was, he was from a similar mindset of also wanting kids. Um, and so we, we researched adoption um, and realized that that's, that wasn't as viable to gay men as let's say a lesbian couple or certainly yep. a heterosexual couple, especially 10 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it might be a little bit different now, but we had heard stories of friends who, you know, were on waiting lists for five, seven years. Finally, somebody would say, yes, I want you to be the parents to my, you know, child. And then yep. at the last minute it would change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was also kind of a social climate of, Hey, what, what devious thing is going to happen by these, these guys adopting babies, mm -hmm. um, you know, so really is, had, it's so interesting because it's why, why just the men? And I, I mean, we both know it's like, you know, gay men, we're the perverts. We right. have sex everywhere. <laughs> right. you know, we, we'll walk out the door, see a handsome guy and like, okay, let's screw right. you know? Right. right. Let, yeah. Let's end up in a bush somewhere. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. 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 But, uh, it is an interesting dilemma. And, um, I, I, I know for me, because I was biological father, I didn't have to face that. But what you're sharing right now, I've heard it over and over yep. and over again. So that definitely wasn't working for you guys. So uh, no, you know, and we also looked at international adoption, and that's that's a giant headache too. Yeah. Um. There's some countries that have some pretty strict rules about what they call single men are not mm -hmm. allowed to adopt. Um. Single women can. So you know, China is a country that will not let men adopt. Um. At the time, you know, Russia closed all of their adoption avenues. Mm -hmm. Um. And so really, like Guatemala was the only place viable right but you know there was all this research that came out that those babies were basically being stolen from these mm -hmm. poor mothers in the countryside and then sold to u.s families for an extreme markup and so you know after exploring all of this we decided hey you know maybe surrogacy is the way we want to go maybe we mm -hmm. should do it that way where we control more of the factors in terms of you know having a kid and you know selfishly there's also the biological connection that sure that you, you you might want with a child or you know desire with mm -hmm. with having kids of your own and um you know but we were still thinking in the mindset that like which one of our friends would ever agree <laughs> mm -hmm. to be a surrogate and that's a huge responsibility to ask someone and right. and so at that point we're like you know maybe it isn't a viable option just because you know we don't know that we would ever want to to put that on somebody mm -hmm. and then certainly the person you'd probably ask would be a close friend and then the, does that make the friendship weird from that point right. on and so we had kind of given up on it and tom had a colleague at his work um that kind of heard his story um and you know or our research and 
shared with him that him and his wife had had trouble conceiving. The wife wasn't able to carry a child and he had used um, a consultant out of Chicago Mm -hmm. that he said made everything um, wonderful and easy. And she did all of the hard work to find, you know, help find the surrogate and the lawyer and help with the legal stuff and setting up the, the payments and, and, um, and they had had a successful uh, transfer and, you know, we're expecting a baby in, in a couple of months. And so we, we made an appointment with her um, and met with her over coffee and she was phenomenal and we loved it. And we were really excited by it. Um, but we found out that there is a huge <laughs> price tag attached with um, going that route. Yeah. And, and it's not something that you can save up. It's not like, oh, well, let's start the process and then we can save money for right. later on down the yeah, road. Yeah, and there's no payment plan either. So. Right, yeah, no, no, no payment plan. <laughs> there's no um, layaway plan, ironically, and no pun intended. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh. Um, <laughs> and so so we we realized that, hey, you know what, financially we're not in the, a position to do this yet. So again, that put us on hold for a little while. Um, and then Tom and I relocated from Chicago to Indianapolis because he uh, got a job as the CFO of Angie's List. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, we sold our place in Chicago. And we were one of the few lucky people in that market that was actually able to make some money off the sale of our house. Mm-hmm. And so we used those extra funds to finally say like, hey, now we have some extra income to start the process. And so we we called her up again. Her name's Mindy uh, Berkson uh, with New Advantage Surrogacy. Um, and, you know, we said, let's do this. And she was super excited and she's phenomenal. She actually specializes in um, same-sex couples nice. and surrogacy. So that helped too. We didn't have to go through any awkward conversations or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of justify, you know, what we were doing. She also had a um, series of resources that she knew were very open and friendly to working with same-sex couples, which was mm-hmm. great. Um, Cause you certainly don't want to sit down with a surrogate and then have her say, you know, what you're gay. Like that, right. that's not what I was um, on board with. And so, mm-hmm. We started the process with her. Um, one of the big things um, that we wanted when we were looking for the surrogate was um, to find one in the state of Illinois or a state like Illinois that would allow both of us to be on the birth certificate right. when the baby was born. Uh, a lot of states out there will not let uh, same sex, with same-sex couples uh, both parents be on the birth certificate. It has to be one and then the other one has to either, um, not either, the other one has to adopt, which requires a home visit, court supervised counseling, you know, and then an official adoption, which Mm -hmm. neither one of us wanted. Uh, we also thought that would create kind of an awkward, like, well, who gets to be the legal right. father exactly. and who has to be the adoptive father? Uh, so, so we, it's interesting here as you're talking, because I want to just make sure, and I know my audience fairly well, but I think because of this story, if you all just step back for a moment here and think about everything that Dylan has said so far, and if you happen to be heterosexual, and if you happen to be a biological parent, I want you to look at the checklist and go, uh, no, I didn't have to do any of this. I didn't have to do 90% of what he's already shared, which isn't, we're not even to the rest of the story yet. There's no having to check to see if the name's going to be on the birth certificate. There's none of this having to pay all this money. There's none of these home visit stuff. So I love that you're sharing this detail, Dylan, because we've had other people come on and talk about this in different ways. 
But I love that for Pride Month and for Father's Day, we are showing this is what it means when a gay, lesbian, bi, trans couple, not so much the bi, but there may be some in, some interesting twists there too. Mm-hmm. It shows how much these parents want to be parents. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and as we went through this process, just to kind of champion what you said, and we kept coming up against these you know, not roadblocks, but certainly obstacles or different ways that we had to do things versus the way, you know, a a regular family would do in terms of surrogacy. Um, It just reminded us more and more like how important this was to us. And then certainly, you know, made that reward once Mm -hmm. we did have the kids that much more joyful because we had gone through the experience to a greater degree than Mm -hmm. let's say, and that's not to minimize a different couple's experience, but you know, as you alluded to, it's certainly uh, a different type of challenge for, for a same sex couple, especially males, right? Because with female couples, one could carry the child, which makes Mm -hmm. things a lot easier and a lot cheaper too. Um, You know, one, one thing not to get sidetracked, but um, insurance companies won't pay for any IVF for men. They will pay for women um, single women, married women, lesbian women, it all goes on the insurance. Um, we, everything out of pocket. So from the start yep. to when the babies were born, all came out of um, our personal, you know, expenses. And then luckily, once they were born, you know, it goes on the insurance. That was sure. easy. But, but I remember yeah, once, big... uh, George and I, my husband and I were in Provincetown. Uh, it's, it's been seven, eight years ago. But um and actually we were there for family week with our kids and we went in, we actually ended up buying a piece of art from this particular artist. And, um, he talked about how he had been trying to become a father and you could just tell by the way he talked and he choked up a few times and he goes, family week is always really hard for me because I want to be a father, but because I'm a single gay man, I mean, there's just the loops and the jumps and the hoops and everything that I'm going through. And he goes, I've been trying for five years and I still can't, I still can't get it done. And he said, yeah, if I had hundreds of thousands of dollars, I could basically mm-hmm. buy a kid. And that's right. how he said it. He goes, but I don't want to buy parenthood. You know, he goes, I'm not going to have to pay, but he goes, it's ridiculous what I'm going through. And uh, again, I think it's a testament to especially gay men. Um, how much gay men who are not do not have the advantage of having the biological child, um, quote unquote, so to speak, um, because once you do surrogacy, yes, there's biological stuff that happens. But um, so, um, so you guys started moving towards this, and um, yeah, and so um, so we uh, we we then found a surrogate um, in Rockford, Illinois, which is a um, small industrial or what used to be an industrial. All the industries kind of left now. Um, mm-hmm city out, outside of Chicago. Um, she had uh, two kids of her own. One of the requirements to be a legal surrogate is that you've had kids previously mm-hmm. so that you don't have any you know, emotional attachment right. or less of an emotional attachment uh, during the pregnancy. Uh, she was about to marry her fiance, who was her high school s- sweetheart and also the father of the two kids. Um, he we were a little worried meeting him, I got to be honest. He came from um, a small town, a religious background, military background, uh, worked the third shift at an electrical plant. Um, so all of this, you know, kind of whistles and warning bells sure. of someone that might be ultra conservative. And he turned out to be phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, it it's, it's takes a 
pretty open mind to mm-hmm. have your fiance carry a child um, for two gay men um, that you know live in another state. So uh, you know there there are some great people out there in the world, and um, you know that's that's one thing that this journey has taught us that you know. During the pregnancy, I thought more and more of how selfless it was for someone to say, yes, I will do this for you, um, you know, and with the potential that I will never be in contact with you or this gift that I gave you ever again, you know, and that's, that's, that's huge to wrap your mind around. Well, it is huge. And I I was on the board of directors for a teen home um, where we last lived and one of the, one of the gals that worked there, um, she loved being a surrogate and i remember talking to her about it and i said you know how do you how do you do it i said i'm not not like tell me how to do this you know it was more but you know how do you in your own mind do this where you do that she goes for me it's all about the joy of giving somebody else the joy of parenthood and i thought that's really beautiful because i know for me i would have i think i would have a harder time detaching so to speak yeah go ahead sorry no i just i might not i might you know if the kids really call it i'm like yeah go take it away it's your (laughs) yeah uh, it's interesting to to, and i've talked to several surrogates and um each one has their own interesting perspective you know yeah so our surrogate her aunt had done it um not for a gay couple but for a couple Mm -hmm. and so that's where she had first kind of opened her mind to it um you know one thing that helped in our situation was uh you know you you use or in legal surrogacy you use a a separate egg donor Mm -hmm. um so really the surrogate just becomes a carrier quote yeah you know they yeah, they even call them, um, they've changed the name from surrogate to gestational carrier, which to mm-hmm. me sounds so awful and right. impersonal. So, clinical, yeah. like, here's the yeah. tube, this is what you yeah. carry. Right, there's, there's no emotion there. Um, and so that helped. But I know, I know from talking to her after the kids were born that she went through a, a significant not depression in that like she couldn't get out of bed every day, but she just had like kind of this absence in her life that she said you know was really hard for her to get over um and not want to you know call me every day and want to ask questions or you know Mm -hmm. FaceTime. and i think for i mean i would guess and i've heard this different again different versions from people on the other side of the coin who are the parents and they're like yeah there are moments that like we feel like maybe we should call and then there's moments like, no, we know we need to step away. And especially when you might have created a, a good relationship and, you know, so it is all over the board. And of course, you know, as we're speaking about this, we're giving fuel to the fire to people who are like, this is why this shouldn't happen. No, we're just right. realistic <laughs> about this folks. Right. We're, we're saying this is, we're real about this. We know this is part of what, you know, can happen, but it's also when you step back, it's about bringing beautiful life into the world to people who really want to a have a beautiful life in their world that they're unable to do themselves. Right. Right. You know, and I think, I think like you said, there, it varies to degrees in terms of interaction with surrogates. Mm -hmm. You know, we heard stories of people that like, Hey, let's do the, you know, transfer, 
I'll talk to you again when you have the baby and then we're done. Mm -hmm. And then people that, you know, the surrogate is part of their lives and comes to family functions and, you know, the kids call them and so forth. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, we kind of went more the middle of the road. Um, You know, we texted a lot during the pregnancy. We went to the doctor's appointments, ultrasound, so forth. Um, after birth though, like I've stayed in contact with her. I send her pictures every once in a while just so they can see what they look like. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll, you know, send her Christmas cards, text her on her birthday, that type of thing. Um, but you know, I think from that point is where our relationship will stay or, you know, will end. Um, and not, not to be mean to her or say like, Hey, we're not grateful for what you did, but more just for, less confusion for the our boys when they grow up Mm. you know um it's already going to be a tough story to tell right um you know and so don't want to add um any weird feelings Mm. um around it uh we'll be open and honest about it um but don't don't necessarily think we'll we'll continue on with a in-depth relationship we're not as great as when when we were we were doing the pregnancy so so here's something that i'm I'm curious, and of course, you know, we're, we're recording this. The audience can't talk back to us, but um, I, I don't know how many people have already caught on. There's two. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. just, okay, we had a baby. We had yeah. babies. So yeah. um, I know yeah. that was, um, well, first of all, um, you both did or did not donate your sperm. So we both donated. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know who they ultimately used. Yep. Um, and you know the theory behind this, and I don't think we would um, necessarily talk about it even if we did, but we didn't want one parent to be the legitimate father again yep. and the other one not. Um, and not so much for us, but more so for the boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would never want them to feel like one dad was less than the other or, you know, when you're going through teenage years, you would never want your kid to say, well, you're not my real father. Um, right. And so at this point, we felt like it was just uh, would be a healthier family dynamic yep. if, if that wasn't even relevant, because um, yep. it's not, uh, quite frankly. Um, you know, and we will live life as a family unit where we're both the dads. We're both on the birth certificate. We're one happy family, you know, knock on wood for for you know the next you know 20 30 years um and i say that because i too am am in in my mid 40s here so so when you when you do the math um you know uh pushing up against the clock here uh in terms of of span of life but um yeah so i i I, we did both we did both donate um and they took you know basically the healthiest strongest embryo Mm -hmm. we only transferred one um, because we actually didn't want to worry about transferring multiples and if there ever came a decision to have to um, reduce yep. um, for this, you know, sake of one or two. Um, so we just transferred one. Uh, our surrogate went to confirm whether or not she was pregnant. This was our very first transfer too. So we were lucky enough for it to take the first time. Mm. That is actually pretty rare. Most couples, it takes yeah. two or three times, which adds that many more dollars to the experience, especially if you're not um, getting any help from your insurance company. Um, and so she went in and they said, hey, not only are you pregnant, but your HCG levels are quite high. And so I was on the phone and I said, well, what does that mean? 
And they said, well, it's either a really healthy pregnancy or we're uh, dealing with twins here. (laughs) (laughs) And so we were like, wow, um, I don't know if we're ready for that. Um, I think we always wanted two kids, but I like more of a staggered. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, uh, a couple weeks later, she goes in for her ultrasound and um, I'm trying to FaceTime her, but the reception in the building is horrible. So the call keeps dropping. She has to start with the doctor because the doctor's like, hey, I'm not waiting around for you to get your FaceTime working. Like I have other people to. So anyway, the FaceTime clicks back in as they're already started. And uh, he said, oh, you know, welcome. We're about to listen to the heartbeat. And I was like, wow, this is phenomenal. And so he says, well, here's baby A's heartbeat. And I was like, baby A? I mean, there's a, and then sure enough, and here's baby B's heartbeat. Um, and I was so excited and overwhelmed that I hung up on the surrogate. <laughs> I called Tom at work. I got him out of a board meeting, told him we were having twins. We celebrated and did the oh moment together. Um, and then I realized I'd hung up on the surrogate. And so I quickly called her back and apologized. And luckily she thought the call had just dropped again and not that I was some giant a hole. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, we, we continued on with listening to heartbeats and, you know, from that point on, uh, you know, Tom and I had to readjust, you know, where this path was going to take us. Um, And, and, you know, after the initial kind of shock, we were very excited, um, wanted to tell everyone um, who would listen, uh, but had to wait that 12-week period sure. to make sure that it was, of course, um, real. You know, good, yeah. Make it. Yeah. Um, and so that was probably the hardest 12 weeks of our lives. Um, but then, and, to the, add- and the thing is, is you guys did have, I mean, you did have some cards stacked against you. I mean, in, you know, most, any pregnancy, there's cards, you know, like, okay, let's wait the 12 weeks. But because you're doing surrogacy and because of, you know, the egg and the transfers and all this sort of stuff, you know, there's, there's any number of things that can typically go wrong in this, as you already indicated, you know, sometimes it could take two or three, you know, takes before it really happens. So for anyone who's been through that and, you know, God bless you, if you had a miscarriage and lost it, um, I know you can relate to what we're discussing here. And I think it's just heightened by, again, the commitment to go, okay, we're going to go through this in, in the only way we know possible. And we're really going to give everything we can to make this work. But this is where we as men kind of like, okay, well, we're, <laughs> this right. is all we can do, you know? <laughs> right. It's out yeah. of my hands. <laughs> it's out of our hands. You know, we kind of did all we could do at this stage. So Yeah. Well, and we had the, um, when we were able to do the first kind of imaging ultrasound that mm-hmm. wasn't just listening, right. uh, we also discovered another kind of challenge that we had to deal with that really scared both of us. But we found out that the um, twins were uh, monochorionic which meant they were sharing the same placenta. And Mm. of course the worry with sharing the same placenta is that they'll fight for a food source. Mm. And what typically happens is not one twin is more aggressive, but one twin actually gives away their food to make sure that the other one survives. And so here we are having this happy moment. We've embraced that we're having twins. And then we get the news that, Hey, we got to be, open to the fact that we might not end up with twins. We might just have one. Um, and we're going to have to make sure that we keep track of their development. Now, the good news was about week, I don't know, maybe 16, 
um, 18. Mm -hmm. When they had gotten big enough, we then um, were able to see in the ultrasound that there was a thin wall mm -hmm. um, or barrier between the two, which makes them um, monochorionic diamniotic. So mm -hmm. they were getting their own independent food source because that wall was there. So then it became less of a concern. But, wow. you know, to go back to your point, you know, it was like, hey, here's this joyous moment. Hey, looks like everything's going great. You know, what's, yeah. we can't wait to get to the 12 week mark and talk about this. And then here's, you know, here's yeah. another challenge for you um, based on, based on what's, what's genetically going on inside the womb. Um, but luckily, you know, like I said, they were able to um, go almost full term. Uh, they were delivered six weeks early. Um, one was uh, right at four pounds, and the other one was uh, three pounds and 12 ounces, um, which is a tiny, tiny, tiny child. Yep. Um, I remember showing up in the, NIC, um, the NICU, and just, you know, you could hold them in one hand, and they looked yep. so fragile, and they were still hooked up to a bazillion machines, and one uh, was on a, a ventilator for uh, the first couple hours that he was born. Um, luckily, by, you know, later in the night, um, they were able to take him off of it. Um, but yeah, they were the, just these small, super delicate creatures, um, you know, <laughs> that we had to take care of. And it was it was probably 24 hours before we got to hold them without them connected to any mm -hmm. machines, um, which was still faster than most kids yeah. in that situation. So we were we were grateful for that. But um, that was also tough to have this beautiful day, you know, and all of this excitement and joy and then see them, you know, so fragile in terms of their life. And, you know, we were living in Indianapolis and we're in Rockford for the, you know, that's where she had the delivery because that's right. where she, she lived. And, you know, they ended up spending three and a half weeks in the, in the Nick ward and we lived in the hospital for three and a half weeks, which, you know, although being in great proximity to them, you know, um, was really depressing and really mm -hmm. took its toll after a couple of weeks. It's hard to be, you know, an energetic, positive dad when, you know, you're in living in a hospital room mm -hmm. and eating hospital food, um, you know, but we were up there every morning um, for their first feeding. And then we would sit with them for a while. And then we would go downstairs and have breakfast and go back up for the next feeding and then go to the YMCA so that we could get some some stress relief and some fitness yeah. and then back there for the next feeding and then we'd leave for lunch and then we'd spend all afternoon um holding them while they slept or doing the skin to skin mm -hmm. um where you know they lay on their chest or your chest and you know then we'd do another feeding and go to dinner and then come back and do a bath and a feeding and sit in the room until about 11 o'clock midnight mm -hmm. and then we would go downstairs and go to sleep and wake up and do it all over again and you know wow. did that for three and a half weeks and you know i i going back to your earlier point about the lengths, you know, that not only we went to, but a lot of gay couples go to just to have kids, you know, we ended up becoming friends with most of the nurses in the unit, you know, and they, they said repeatedly, they're like, we have other families that have kids, not twins necessarily, but have kids in your situation. And they come for the two or three hours in the afternoon. They might come for an hour in the morning and then you don't see them because they're just kind of killing time until they're able to go home. And she's like, you guys are here every day, you know, almost 18 hours a day. Yeah. You know, at one point they were like, take the night off, go see a movie, go to dinner. Don't, 
you know, you don't have to come upstairs every, right. every, every minute of the day. But, you know, again, we had been on such a, a journey to get there. It was like, now that we're here, you know, we want to, we want to enjoy every, every minute we, we could. And we also wanted them to know as much as they could that, Hey, we're here for you. Um, we're here for, for you from the beginning. Um, we're your dads. We love you dearly. Um, and we're going to do whatever challenge that we have to do to, to take care of you, you know, cause that's, that's the responsibility we signed on for. That's what we wanted. Yeah, you know, and and I know most people get it as parents, but I I, I want to kind of go back to something you just said about the importance of being there and and taking care of yourself. It's a fine balance because um, in earlier in the spring, my daughter was going through a lot of stuff, and we were in and out of ERs, and I think the grand total of ER visits was somewhere around eighteen to twenty times, and and it was you know we kind of went in for the same thing each time, but you know you just you got to be there, you yeah. know, and it is it is taxing. It's taxing on them. It's taxing on you. I remember at one point my daughter actually saying, "I'm just I'm just wasting everybody's time," and I'm like, "No, you're not. You right. we, we've <laughs> got to do this," you know. And, you know, as a person who runs his own business, uh, I'm grateful, obviously, to be able to like, okay, well, I'm dropping everything. And, and there were times I was sitting in there writing blog posts in the ER. And one of the nurses said to me, wow, you come prepared. I'm like, well, when you've been here as many times, right. <laughs> Unfortunately, just, yeah. like you have the bag packed and yeah. kind of got to know a few of them. And, you know, they all know that I have a podcast or two podcasts. And, and so it's just, it is, but it's that, it is that space of, do you take care of yourself or do you take care of your kid? And, and it is a balance. It's truly a balance of both because you can't be there for them if you're not taking care of yourself. But right. I can't imagine not being there. Even in the worst case scenarios, yes, if I didn't live as close as I did, that would be tough. But I would do whatever it took to be there because that bond is so important, especially at the age that your boys are to create that bond, especially in a non-traditional parenting environment to everything you can do to, just continue to show in little ways what that love looks like. So absolutely, absolutely. You know, I always, I always joke around that prior to them being born, I would have told you that I had kids for selfish reasons. And mm. you know, the one thing that fatherhood and parenthood teaches you, and from day one, is that it's not selfish. You become so selfless um, because you you want to give everything you have to make sure that this this child, you know has all the love and support and feels comfort and feels um, safe. And, you know, and so that, that was, that was a, both a wonderful thing for me to realize mm -hmm. and a really tough thing for me to realize, you know, um, when we did finally leave the hospital, they were still significantly underweight. And so we had to be on a pretty rigid feeding cycle, of course, which, which was every three hours. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, just to give you some perspective too, for a baby that size to drink two ounces of milk takes about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so not only are we feeding them every three hours, but the whole process takes about an hour and a half to mm. an hour and 45 minutes to by the time you thaw the breast milk and so forth, because our surrogate yep. uh, donated breast milk for us. Um, you know, we're talking too, like nine o'clock at night, midnight, three in the morning, six in the morning. Um, Tom had to go back to work at that point because he had used all his paternity time yep. when we were in the hospital. Um, 
And so I slept in the boys' room, but you know, I would get up at midnight, I would get up at three in the morning, I would get up at six in the morning, you know, I would feed them. And then by the time I'm all done, you know, especially in the overnight shifts, I'm looking at 40 minutes to be able to get any sleep before I have to wake up and do it all over again. Yeah. Um, And so going back to your point, like, it's just, you know, it was exhausting. There were times where I was like, I don't think I could, I mean, that's a level of exhaustion that I didn't even know existed. Um, and, and there could have been nights too, because they weren't waking me up. It's not like they were crying and saying, mm-hmm. it's time to eat. It was my alarm going off telling me, Hey, you got to feed the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I knew how important it was. And so mm-hmm. I, I got up, I did it, you know, luckily on the weekends, Tom would do like, you know, nine o'clock and midnight. So I could get at least you know, right. <laughs> three or four hours of sleep on those days to kind of help. Um, but you know, you, you, you just do it. And, um, you know, uh, as you start to do it more and more, you realize how important it is. And, and like you said, you've been to the, the ER 18, 20 times and, and there wouldn't be a time where you would ever say, Nope, mm. not this time. You know, I mean, that's, mm. that's one of the um, awesome and amazing parts of being a parent um, yep. is it's no longer about you. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's about, um, you know, I think it gets back to you as they get older. And, it does. And it, it's a, always an ebb and a flow, you know, and, right. and, you know, my kids are now 20 and soon actually in 24 at this point. And um, the ebb and the flow is actually a frustrating thing. And it's a beautiful thing simultaneously. It's like, okay, we're good. And then, okay, now we're not going to be good. You know, <laughs> But um, you learn so much. You learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about your relationship with your spouse. Absolutely. You you learn so much about the kids, of course. But the thing I think I feel like I've learned the most through this entire journey of, you know, having been married in a heterosexual relationship, then coming out and sharing parenting, and then having my husband involved for many, many years where it was just the three of us parents. And um, now my ex-wife is remarried and it's kind of a, well, all the kids are grown, so he's kind of just like the husband, but you know, whatever, not, no disrespect. It's just, there's, there's not the bond, you know, it's like, okay, we're too far gone, too far in our lives to say, Oh, this is my stepdad. You know, even though some, sometimes they do refer to that. Sometimes it's just my mom's husband. Um, but you learn so much about what you're capable of and also what you're not. (laughs) And I, and, and the times when you're like, I'm not capable of this, it's actually a beautiful lesson because you kind of have to learn to stand back and go, okay, if I'm not capable of this, then where this is where I need support. This is where I need help. And I need to set my own pride aside and go, okay, yep. I need help here. I remember one night when our oldest daughter was pretty young. Um, she was probably eight or nine months old and she wasn't colicky, but she just, she would get in these spaces where she'd just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. And, you know, I was, working at that time, my wife or ex-wife at that time, or my ex-wife, um, was still on maternity leave. And I mean, yes, that's when they still called it maternity leave. And, um, I stood in my daughter's room and I thought, I can't do anything about this. Mm-hmm. And I even looked at her and she was like, just staring up at me crying. And I'm like, looking at her going, I don't, I can't do anything about this. I don't know what you want dad to do. And I don't know, how many times I'm going to have to tell you, I can't do anything about this. And then when she was 
14, I actually had to say the same words to her. I can't do anything about this. And it's so interesting to watch how the same exact words take on a whole new meaning as you go in the ebb and the flow. Right. You know, because that later in life thing was, I can't do anything about this other than just be here for you. I realized when I said those words to her, it actually was a flashback to when I stood in her room and said those same words. And at that point in time, I couldn't, cause I didn't know what she needed. Now, when I was saying it, it was like, I can't do anything about this other than truly be here for you. Right. You're going to have to walk through this. You're going to have to do. And so it's just, it is very interesting to watch this happen. And so, um, the boys what? are now how old? Well, they just turned two. Okay. Um, so we're, we're knee deep in the trials and tribulations of uh -huh. a two-year-old boy uh, times two. Yeah. So we have one that's a, um, a screamer and he doesn't just scream. He <laughs> like holds the note for a good 15, 20 seconds. Uh -huh. um, it's kind of something out of an 80s slasher film. Um, and then we have the other one that just uh, spontaneously starts sobbing and it's just not, it's not just crying. It's like the uh -huh. heavy breathing uh -huh. where I almost can't breathe. And yep. um, usually it's simultaneously. So mm -hmm. simultaneously. So, so yeah, there's some, there's some really challenging moments now um, that, <laughs> that make you scratch your head and say, wow. Um, you know, and, and then in talking to other parents, uh, I guess, age three now is worse than age two mm -hmm. they call it a three major mm. so it's a really independent kid who needs to be validated but has an attitude problem with you all the time so all the time mm -hmm. you know so I, I i guess there what i thought would be a respite after two um i have a whole another another phase to look forward to oh you so. have a, a whole lot of other phases to look forward to so. yeah, yeah yeah which i know people it always used to irritate me when people would say stuff like that to me and and i i hate it when i say it but um yeah. I always like to say, you've got so many cool new adventures coming your way. Right. You know? That's a much, much better yeah. way to say it. Yeah. Than the and other they way. are cool because it teaches yeah. you about yourself. I mean, if I could yeah. replay so many moments now where I am yeah. at, and even in most currently, you know, because they still need you. Yeah. I mean, still, yeah. you know, it's so interesting how the needs change, you know, uh, but they are cool adventures. And yeah. Well, and I love that you said that because in, in sharing stories after the kids were born with people that don't have kids um, and a lot of my friends, you know, I was trying to get it, that exact point across that, you know, there were so many days where like being a dad, like the kids exposed all of my weaknesses, mm -hmm. um, you know, and just thinking at the end of the day, like, hey, I really need to evaluate like what I used to think was important or how I handle a situation or, you know, and then the level of exhaustion with mm -hmm. it was like, well, how am I ever supposed to, to do better when I'm so tired? And, um, but you're right. Like beautiful moments come out of that. Like it taught me a lot about myself and what I needed to do differently, you know, and I think we all take, want to take the great things that our parents instilled in us and change the things that maybe didn't work well with our parents. And, you know, so, so I, I agree with you, um, you know, and I, I think that's so important for other people to realize when, when you're a parent that, yeah. that there are going to be nights where you go to bed feeling like I'm probably the worst parent in the world. And you're not, of course, yeah. like nothing catastrophic has happened, right. but it's just such an emotional journey, um, you know, and so like forgiveness is such a big piece of that, you know, because I know that I have you know, a lifetime of mistakes that are probably going to happen as a parent. <laughs> I just hope they're, you know, not, not detrimental to the kids overall development or honestly, happiness Dylan, or, you know, 
Yeah. But honestly, Dylan, if you don't, we're all going to call you bitch. So right. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like, fuck you, bitch. You right. what you're doing, but right. well-deserved. Yes. Yeah, well -deserved. exactly. But, uh, yeah. you know, and so it's, it's such a great conversation to have during the middle of pride month. And, you know, I'm sitting here watching the clock going, okay, I'm going to let us keep talking because he's done an amazing job of either. He's either got those boys completely sedated right now. or <laughs> They knew, okay, dad's got something to do and right. let dad do it. But, um, so yeah. I'm so glad you took the time out to like be, share your story, number one, and uh, be a mirror to people who are like, okay, we're going to go do this. And yes, it's scary. And yes, it's, it's a challenge. And all of this layered on top of the fact of being single gay men, so to speak, or married couple and going forward with this, you can do what you want to do. You just got to truly commit to it. And it is a commitment being a parent, no matter what your sexuality, gender orientation, any of that. But I think there is a special space for the LGBTQ community who choose to be parents and who really not only choose, but fight to be parents, especially in today's world. So, um, well, and just to add to that, I think it's also important too, as I've, I've been a dad now and I'm out in public with two kids and my husband and we just went on a vacation. Um, the one thing that I, I really value in our family unit beyond our family unit is to see the kids of other families and the teenagers of other families see us react to us. And I think mm -hmm. that that is so important too, yep. because I can tell you growing up, I didn't have any, you know, exposure to any of those mm -hmm. positive gay examples and, and role models. And, right. and so, you know, I'll deal with the the mom giving me the dirty look, um, you know, on the yeah. airplane because I know that her kid sitting next to her is seeing something that will open his mind, regardless of whether or not he's gay. Right. Um, but will open his mind to just a better a better environment mm -hmm. to live in, you know. And so I think that that's an indirect positive also Absolutely. too of us being a, a family and being out in public um, is just to to give those kids out there or like you said other adults out there just mm -hmm. the the confidence to know hey i i can do this if i want to and if i don't right. look at that look at how how great that is to see so and it always is a reflection of you know what is possible to the world i mm -hmm. you know to wrap this up it's kind of a i remember the first first time that we experienced i wouldn't say discrimination but definitely you know, some bristled some people's fur on the back of their neck. Was, and our daughters were probably nine and five, maybe somewhere in there. They're about four years apart. So, and I remember not even thinking twice about it, but then checking into a hotel with girls that age and two men. Oh, yeah. And it had never crossed my mind. That had never, you know, because we're a family. This is what we do. We right. we get a room with two beds. Right. You know, the dads sleep together, the girls sleep together, and it's like wow. And I, and so you know, it's interesting. But then and then as I got older, it even got even more interesting. Sure. Because even you know, up until you know, well, there even in the last probably three four years, there's been a couple of times that we've all actually last summer we all stayed in the same hotel room for a conference, and luckily we didn't have any issues there, but it's something that I'm now very cognizant of, you right. know, especially yeah. I, and I, you know, I think it'll happen for you guys too in your own way because there's something about 
men with you know young women sure. that definitely like oh there we go but then it can go the other way too so like i said you're in for a lifetime of <laughs> my friend of cool adventures i think is yes, the, cool the phrase you yes. that, that's what we're going to call it lifetime yes. of cool adventures and as long as each time something really happens, you can go, okay, but Rick said this is just a lifetime of little adventures. So. Right, I'll hear your voice in my head. Exactly. Well, again, thanks, man. And thank yes, you, boys, thank you. for like, you know, you know, being quiet, staying asleep, you know, not I that will. we cared. Um, but um, it's awesome, man. And thanks for sharing Father's Day and Pride with us. This well, thanks for having me. And again, happy, happy, happy Father's Day to you. Same to you, my friend. Thanks so much. All right, bye-bye. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change a life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.